Welcome back to another episode of Sports Avenue. I'm your host, Jimmy Simonis, and this is the 41st episode. I just want to say thank you to everyone who's been tuning in to all these episodes. It's been a blast to have you guys listen to them and enjoy them. But that's beside the point. Today, I have a special guest. He played football at the University of Texas. He coached at UTSA. He's now a high school coach. I would like to welcome Justin Aldridge. Justin, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Jimmy. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for joining. I'm, I'm excited to hear what you got to say, man. Absolutely, man. I'm excited to be on here with you. So let's start off. You played at the University of Texas, so kind of talk about that experience playing for a perennial powerhouse Division One football program. Yeah, so I played high school. I mean, I was an athlete my entire life. Played baseball in high school, played football. Um, really an undersized guy. I was one of those ones. I wasn't really great at anything. Um, and I tell people all the time, I, I kind of had the problem that I like to describe as big heart, little brain. Mm-hmm. And so I was too dumb to know any better. Um, and I wish I could say that I was this highly touted recruit and people were beating down the wall to get me. I got a scholarship and everything went great from there. But unfortunately, that's not how it worked out. I was actually part of um, the secondary that I was a part of going into my senior year. We were rated as the number one secondary in the state. And the University of Texas, which is my dream school, was there scouting all four of us. And that day when they were there recruiting us, I actually dislocated my shoulder. Um, And so I lost any interest that I had from them. And right before my senior year of high school, my dad ended up going to prison anyway. And so I ended up not taking any of my scholarship offers and ended up just working full time, did that for three years and ended up being out of ball for seven years total. And after my dad got out of prison and my family got back on their feet and everything, I went to the University of Texas and ended up actually going and doing the walk-on process. And I went there and I talked to the director of recruiting, which was actually the same guy that was there when I was in high school. And somehow I have no idea because, like I said, I mean, I was a, I was a good athlete. I'm not going to lie, but I wasn't like some blue chip recruiter or anything like that. And somehow he remembered me. And he told me to go out there, do the walk-on process, and they would evaluate me for scholarship after that. And so I did. I went and did the tryout, and about five minutes into the tryout, I made the team. And so that was kind of the start of everything. So talk about the walk-on process. And, man, that's awesome because I didn't know it. It took you, you know, you were a kind of a late bloomer in that sense where you didn't go straight after high school. So, yeah, talk about the walk-on process and what it was like for you to go through all the, I guess, the – I would say stress because you didn't have any leverage. You know, you had to push yourself all the way. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, it it would have been one thing if I was like straight out of high school and was going in there trying to walk on. But by this time, I'm 23 years old. Right. Um, Like I said, hadn't played football in seven years. And so the, the deck was really stacked against me. And so I went out there and just said, I'm going to give it my all. And, I actually kind of got cold feet the morning of because one of the guys were out there. It's 530 in the morning. It's freezing cold outside in January. And one of the guys I'm standing out front with as we're waiting to get into the complex, it was his, I think, third time going through the walk-on process. And he was talking about just how absolutely treacherous it was. Uh, Our strength coach, Benny Wiley, which, I mean, if you know anything about college strength coaches, they're all freaking nuts. (laughs) Uh, but he was the one that coordinated the entire walk-on process. And so 
we get in there and all I have is this guy's comments in the back of my mind. And he was talking about how they were pushing sleds for like 30 minutes. Dudes are like throwing up all over the place. I mean, he's talking about it's just like an absolute war zone. There's just bodies laying everywhere. I'm like, oh, damn, this is going to suck. So luckily we go in there and I'm not sure why, but the walk-on process completely changed. And we went in there and it was more like a traditional football walk-on or tryout process. And so we get in there, we stretch, we warm up, we run our 40s, we do our short shuttle, and then we go straight into position-specific stuff. Um, And we started out doing receiver stuff. And I ran my first route, which was a little bubble screen, and it was a bad throw. The next route, I ran a quick out. Dove caught the ball, and the strength coach looked at me. He goes, all right, he's good. We don't need to see any more. Wow. So I guess what was it like taking seven years off from football and going back into the walk-on program? It was tough. Um, you know, I, I'm the type of person where when I set my mind to doing something, you can ask my, my family and my friends, I'm pretty adamant about my goals. And that was one of the first goals I had set in my life where I kind of started to doubt myself. Um, I definitely was a late bloomer. I was always a young kid. I graduated when I was 17. Um, so I was always much younger than my peers. And so I didn't really fill out until about a year or so after high school. I gained, gosh, almost 20 pounds in the year after high school. I remember going back up there within that first year and the linebackers coach looked at me. He was like, damn, I wish you looked like that a year ago. You've been playing linebacker for me. Um, so I went there and really as my dad and him getting out of prison, he kind of felt like he had robbed me of that opportunity to go and be a college athlete. And he was really pushing me hard like Justin, you know, you're, you're already going there as it is. You need to go pursue your dream of trying to play football there. And so I decided, I was like, you know what, I'm going to train. I'm going to give myself a year. I'm going to really go out there and bust it every single day, work hard. And then I'm going to give it one shot. And so I went out there and, Gave it everything I had, and luckily it panned out for me. How were you training before going into the walk-on program? Oh, dude, it was I was definitely roughing it. I mean, I was a college student at that point, and so I was going to one of the local gyms and just using the weights that they had in there. I was going out. There's a, a well-known park in Austin called Zilker Park. I was going out there setting up my own cones and doing my drills and things that I remembered from uh, – from football back whenever I was in high school. And by that time, I'd already been in school there for a semester. And so I'd kind of started to make friends with some of the football players. Cause I still kind of looked apart and everything. I was still working out and that's just part of my identity at that time. And so I started rubbing elbows with them and building relationships. And they were kind of giving me some pointers on things to work on and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I was just getting out there every single day, lifting, doing my running, doing my sprints, doing my position stuff and just getting after it. Yeah, so you made the team. What was it like making the team and playing for, again, one of the best programs in the country? Dude, it was it was amazing. It's kind of crazy. You know, you sit there and you watch movies like Rudy and you just see the iconic images of the field house and the tunnels and all that different stuff. And obviously, you know, Texas has been covered at nauseum in their sports program and their football program in particular. And so you get in there and you really start to feel like the aura and almost like mythology, so to speak, like come alive. You know, you're sitting there and you, it really hits you, especially if you're somebody like me, 
who's always loved the game and um, is, is a fan of the game. And you get in there and you realize that you're walking in the same hallways that some of the greatest people to ever grace a college football field walk through. And not only that, but you're actually the same facility where a lot of them still come back and train. So I'm on the football team and you've got more recent guys at that time, like Colt McCoy, Jordan Shipley, Vince Young, uh, a lot of guys that were in the league at that current time that are coming back and working out there. But you've also got the legends who were in there. You know, Earl Campbell was there every single day. I'm in there working out and Earl Campbell is two treadmills over from me, sitting there walking, doing his rehab. And so it's just one of those things where it's like you almost have to pinch yourself every single day because you walk in there and you're just surrounded by, like I said, just legends of the game. So who was your favorite player growing up? Oh, gosh. Um, Man, I'd have to – It's. It was one of those things when, when I was young, it, it was I, I wasn't overly knowledgeable of the players. I just loved the team. And then once I started getting up older, because I really didn't start playing football uh, until I was in high school. I played a little bit when I was younger, but didn't really get into the game until I was in high school. And so by that time, that's whenever Vince was there. And so I loved Vince. Um, I really... Uh, I enjoyed Cedric Benson when he was there, but probably my favorite of all of them was watching Ricky Williams play whenever he was with the Longhorns. Good choice. Those are all three good players. I was kind of waiting for you to say Earl Campbell. I love Earl, uh, but, I mean, obviously I wasn't alive to be able to watch him play, but the getting to know the man as I was there, I definitely have a lot of respect and adoration for him as a, as a human being. Oh, for sure. I, I because I remember like I remember like when I I'd watch I watch on YouTube like NFL like documentaries and stuff like that. And when you watch like Earl Campbell videos with him just mowing over the entire defense, it's just it's crazy, man. Oh my god. They definitely played a different brand of football back then. Oh yeah, for um, sure. Um and you know, I he's one of the ones I've always been curious like to ask him, like, hey, Knowing what you know now and what your reality is now, would you have played the game any differently? I don't think he would have, um, but definitely when you see him in his physical condition now, I mean, it's just heartbreaking to sit there and to see this guy and everything he gave to the game and see what his current reality and physical condition is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, when you were, So you played wide receiver in college? I was. So what? who was your quarterback at that time? It was that was during the David Ash and Case McCoy years. Oh, so what was it like <laughs> practicing with like Colt McCoy and guys that were going to be going into the NFL? Oh man, it was crazy. I remember going in there, and um, I mean, Case and I had a decent relationship. Um, but I'm in the weight room one day, in there just getting an extra lift in, and I walk over to the leg press. We had a couple leg press machines in there, and there's somebody down on one of the presses. And he's got his hood up over his head and everything. And he stands up, and I was about to say, hey, can I work in with you? And he turns around, and it's Colt. And I was like, oh, damn. All right, I'm, I'm just going to go over to this machine. And so he takes off his headphones. He's like, what's up, man? I was like, oh, no, I was going to see if I could work in, but, you know, you go ahead and do your thing. And he was like, no, 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 man. He's like, come on, we'll, we'll work out together. So, I mean, super down-to-earth guy, really, really nice. And that's how most of them were. I think there's this big misconception that a lot of people are, you know, arrogant jerks that play in the league. And, Trust me, there are their fair share of them. There's definitely several guys that I um, 
encountered during my time there that were not the most pleasant people to be around and they definitely had a lot of ego about them but man colt was he was a straight up dude he was really down to earth um country boy really really nice guy so did, were you ever able to play ever able to start for the tech or the, the longhorns or did you ever get playing time unfortunately i never did i ended up having a career ending back injury before i ever got a chance to play how uh, long into it was that injury or when you were in that college? That was during my red shirt sophomore, uh, sophomore year. So how did you deal with that news? Were you like, was it kind of a, was it kind of like depressed? I mean, I, I figure it was probably depressing, but I guess, how did you overcome that negativity of not being able to play football again? Uh, it was, it was definitely a blow. I mean, because you sit there and I mean, my entire upbringing, like I said, I was an athlete and I was a, I was a really good athlete. Um, and you go out there and you finally kind of come to grips with the fact that you're never going to play again competitively. And then you get this second chance and you go out there. And I mean, literally you're going to school full time. You're doing all the things that you have to do to be able to support yourself and all this. And then on top of that, you're out there grinding away and doing all the work to be able to go out there and chase what everybody else would consider a dream. And you go out there and you finally have it. And you're experiencing this. Like I said, you're, not just being able to play football again, but you're being able to play football for me at my dream school. And I'm being able to rub shoulders and to be able to sit there and catch footballs and do drills with guys who are studs in the league now and being able to get to meet guys like Earl Campbell and Colt McCoy and sit there and have somebody who's such an iconic coach like Mac Brown coach me, um, just all these different things. And then all of a sudden, just like at the snap of a finger, it's just gone. So yeah, it was it was definitely really depressing. I um I took a really bad shot at practice one day and I remember waking up the next morning and I go to sit up out of bed and I couldn't sit up. And I'm laying there and I'm like, "Oh my god, what is going on?" So I ended up rolling myself off onto the floor and I called the team doctor and I said, "Hey, I I can't stand up." So finally, after a little while, I was able to get up to my feet and I go to the facility and they said, "Hey, we're going to send you for an MRI." So they send me, I go for the MRI a couple of days later, they call me in to a spinal specialist and I'm sitting there looking at the MRI in his office and you just see my, my spine and you see all these plump white sacs, which is what your vertebrae are supposed to look like. And then down at the very bottom of my spine, it's just flat and black. And I remember pointing at it and I was like, what is that? And he was like, that's the problem right there. And I was like, okay. And, um, he said, I'm just going to tell you like this, Justin. He said, is your back the worst I've ever seen? No. He said, is your back one of the worst I've ever seen for a 24-year-old? Yes. And so he goes into this in-depth um, discussion about what's going on with my back and all of that. And I just flat out told him, I said, look, Doc, I, I worked my ass off to get to this point. So can I play football again or not? And he just looked at me and he said, Justin, I'm going to tell you this. He said, you can go out there and play football, continue to play and, and have a good career um, and never have a problem. He said, or the more likely scenario is you're going to go out there, you're going to take one more hard hit, you're never going to walk again. And so that was a really eye-opening experience um, and, and hard words to swallow. But even then, <laughs> I'm so stubborn and, and hell-bent on the fact that I want to chase my dream that that wasn't enough to really solidify in my mind that I wasn't going to play again. It was actually a conversation that I had with my strength coach I was the, the second oldest guy on the team at that point, and my strength coach was in his early 30s, 
And so we had built up a rapport and everything and we're having a conversation. And I just said, Hey, look, I want to confide in you about this. And so I'm sitting there talking, kind of pouring my heart out and expecting him to, to kind of be like, Oh yeah, no, I get it. But he just looks at me and he goes, Jess, let me ask you a question. I said, yes, sir. And he said, do you want to get married? I said, yes, sir, I do. I'm actually getting married next year. And he said, do you want to have kids? I said, I do. And he's like, do you want to be able to get down on the floor and play with your kids and wrestle with your kids and have fun with them? And I said, absolutely. He said, then why the hell would you ever consider playing football again? And that was all I needed to hear. Wow. That's got a little chills. Like when you first heard that, what is that? Is that when it kind of clicked for you when your coach told you that? It was like, okay, you know, my time's done here. I do what I was supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, everybody, what you realize whenever you get in there is you realize that, you know, big time college athletics, it's a business. Um, and so from the medical perspective and everything like that, unless you're just an absolute world beater who's got NFL written all over you, they're going to do everything they can to try to protect the brand and kind of cover their own butts. And so there wasn't anybody that was like clamoring for me to be able to play football anymore. And for him to just be that straight up, that real, that honest with me, um, really kind of just cut straight to the facts. And I was like, well, you know, because his career was cut short due to injuries as well. And so coming from him, I knew that he was giving me the advice that I needed to hear. So you, you, thought, you know, you, now you know that you, you're not going to play football or you're never going to hit the football field again. So what's the next step for you? Because you say you end up coaching. So did you graduate from Texas then going to coaching or how did you end up coaching at UTSA? Yeah, so I actually, I, like I said, that was during what was my junior year, redshirt sophomore football season. And so I, I had another year of school and my degree is in sport management, which is essentially a business degree where they take the curriculum and they kind of curtail it specifically for sports. And so my goal was to go to work in the front office of a sports organization. And I ended up sitting in a class one day and the athletic director from UTSA is in there doing a presentation for us. And so I stayed after and went up and introduced myself, started a, a conversation with her. And I said, hey, I've got to do an internship next semester. I would love to be able to come down there and do one with y'all if that's the possibility. And she said, here, take my card, send me an email. I would love to be able to set something up. And so I went down there my last semester and I interned down there three days a week. And again, I just started building connections and meeting the right people. And by the time I got down there, I kind of started to get the coaching bug. And I went over there and I met with the, the football coaches and I ended up meeting this awesome coach named Perry Eliano, who was the safeties coach and special teams coordinator. And I just told him, I said, hey, I don't know like what it takes to get into being a college football coach, but I would, I would love to be able to find out more. And so he invites me in, we sit down, we talk and he said, you know, Justin, I can see the passion that you have and the drive that you have. And he, uh, he told me, he said, I can see a lot of myself in you. And so he gave me the opportunity to be able to go down there starting that summer after I graduated to go down there and be a graduate assistant. So I packed up from Austin, moved down, and the next week I became a graduate assistant at UTSA. Yeah, and explain what it was like being a graduate assistant because assistant because not many people get to do that. Yeah, that was honestly the most grueling job I've ever had. Um, like I said, when you get an inside look at, and that's the great thing for me is I've had an inside look at both sides of it, the player and the coach. 
And I mean, it is intense. These guys are going and going and going nonstop. Um, you know, I was averaging about 14 hours a day every day during the season. I was there usually about nine or 5:30 in the morning, and then I was getting out of there about 9:30 at night. Um, and because obviously you're doing, you're having to go and do football stuff. And then you're also having to do classes sprinkled in here and there. Um, so the life and the schedule is just absolutely grueling. But I mean, the work is an absolute blast because you're just, you're sitting there getting to do what you do. You get to what, what you love to do. You're, you're coaching football. Okay. So what was like your job as the graduate assistant? Like, what did you do as a coach? So I was helping with primarily special teams. And so what we would do whenever we would go out there is I would work with the long snappers, the punters, and the kickers. And so I tracked all of their daily metrics. So like with the long snappers, for example, they would have to do so many snaps a day. I had charts that I would track all of their the locations of their snaps. Um, same thing with the kickers, same thing with the punters. I'm tracking all these metrics throughout practice along with running drills and doing all this different stuff. And then at the end of each practice, I would go in there and I would compile all these different reports um, and I would give them to the special teams coordinator. And then on game days, I was essentially doing the same thing, but I compiled all the metrics for all the special teams every single game day. And then on our travels back or whenever we would get back to this, um, to the field house after the game, I would create these reports. And then on Saturday when we would go in, um, or on Sundays when we would go in for post-game stuff, I would give them these reports that they would cover in our coaching meeting. So a lot of reports is what I'm getting. <laughs> yes. When you're a graduate assistant, you're, you're cutting a lot of film. You are doing a lot of reports. You're making a lot of practice preparations, a lot of equipment preparations. So, yeah, you're, you wear a lot of hats, uh, but definitely reports are a big part of it. So what would you say is the biggest thing you took away from being a graduate assistant for a couple of years? Uh, I mean, the biggest thing that I took away from it was just a, a respect for the amount of work that goes into being a great coach. Uh, I think that, you know, when it comes to sport in general, I think that people have this misconception that there's not, you don't have to be a brainiac to be a great athlete, which you don't by any means. Uh, but I almost feel like that misconception spills over to the coaching realm as well. And they think that these are guys that were just great athletes that now are using the knowledge that they had to go out there and coach. And it's not that at all. I mean, you're talking about some guys who are literal geniuses and, and their respective field. Um, and then again, you're talking about somebody like Larry Coker, who was a national championship winning coach that comes there to build this program. And so obviously he's got a pedigree, he's got a lineage of success and, so just the, the mad respect that I developed for the craft and the way that all these different coaches approach their work. So after being a graduate assistant, you went into the high school, uh, the high school atmosphere. What was that like being a coach in the high school level? And are you still doing it currently? No, I don't do it anymore. Um, I actually got out of coaching a couple of years ago, um, but it was, it was definitely a big transition, but actually I enjoyed it a lot more. And the reason why is because, like I said, whenever you get on the college level, it's one of those things where it's a business um, and you can definitely feel the pressure every single week. You know, you go in there and you go on a good losing streak and stuff like that. And it's one of those things where kind of everybody's looking over their shoulders. Um, it gets very contentious. It's a very high stress environment. 
you go down to high school and although the high school game has definitely amplified since I played um, and it's much more competitive in terms of, you know, they're, they're paying big dollars to a lot of these coaches nowadays on the high school level. And so there is that increased level of accountability, but you're able to build much deeper relationships with the kids um, and you're able to really invest in them and to help them make decisions that are going to influence the rest of their lives when it comes to them being able to go play ball, them being able to get scholarships and, and different things like that. So I actually, out of those two levels, I enjoyed that much more than being on the college level. And were you also a special teams coach in the high school level, or what did you do in the high school level? When I got onto the high school level, I did a little bit of special teams, but primarily I worked with the secondary and some receiver work as well, but primarily working with safeties and corners because I played a lot of secondary in high school. That's actually how I dislocated my shoulder. So I definitely had some understanding of that side of the ball. And I know you said you didn't play much before high school. So I guess how did you learn the game throughout high school and going into college? I guess how did you acclimate yourself to be learning a high school and college playbook? Uh, I mean, I... I was always a, a smart person. I, I pick up on things pretty quickly, especially something that I'm passionate about. It's not hard for me to really consume myself with the the various levels of understanding when it comes to the game. You know, the game of football is something that a lot of people see it, and it looks very complex, and it can be. Um, but once you grasp the the core concepts, the foundational understandings of the game. Everything else from there is just basic variances. It's kind of like music. You know, you've got those three chords that everybody talks about, and every song is just a variation of those three chords. Well, football is the exact same way. You've got your basic formations, your basic coverages, and then everything else from there is just a variation of that. And so early on for me, once I picked up on that, everything else came pretty quickly and was pretty natural for me. I was one of those ones that I was kind of a plug and play player where they knew that they could put me in at any position except for line because I was tiny, but uh, they could put me in any position and I would be decent at it because I had a great understanding of the game. Playing at a university like Texas, how do you feel the school has evolved since you've been there in trying to kind of rebuild the program for what it used to be? Yeah, one of the things about Texas is obviously with the the history that they have there, there's a lot of expectation. And so it's one of those things where, you know, I think they can get kind of impatient at times. And another thing that you kind of figure out about these big universities is that the booster club and these people that are donating millions of dollars to the program, they have a lot more say about what goes on on the field than they probably should. Um you know, I, I'm not saying that uh, Charlie Strong was the guy for the job, but I'm a firm believer that with any coach, they deserve four years so that they can get a true recruiting class through. Um, and so I think they've done some really great things. I think with, you know, with Herman in there now, he's definitely showing some progress and kind of rebuilding the program. But I feel like the biggest thing for Texas was that they lost that identity that they had through the 90s and early 2000s where – they always had a bigger back um, who was an athletic guy, more of a, a power running team with just stout defenses. They followed the model and the lead of the rest of the Big 12 and kind of went with this all-out air attack and no defense at all. And I feel like they're trying to get back to who they were. 
Um, but definitely still making some sacrifices. I think they're on the right track, but they still got some work to do. What would you say is the biggest thing for them to change or, I guess, adjust to become what they used to be? Because this year it looked pretty promising, but then they suffered three tough losses. Yeah. But, yeah, they lost to LSU with, I mean, granted, they're probably the best team in the country at this current moment. Yeah, the biggest thing is when it comes down to college football, especially the way the game is played now, the team with the best quarterback is a team that's going to win. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, the guy who can pull out the, you know, the most rabbits out of his hat, because you see it, I mean, you got your Kyler Murrays, you got your Baker Mayfields, you got the guys from Ohio State. Um, aside from Alabama, where the quarterback is essentially just a, a wheel in the, the, the machine, um, everybody else is, is just relying on finding that next great quarterback. That's just kind of the evolution of the game on that level. And so as much as I think Sam Ellinger is a good player, um, I don't think that he's the guy that's going to take them to the national championship. I think that once this defense matures a little bit more, these younger guys in the secondary um, really start to become seasoned veterans, that things will start to to really click for them and they'll make a run deep and hopefully get into the playoffs and be able to get a shot at the national championship. Have there been any other teams that have kind of like caught your eye this year? I mean, you you look at the Ohio States and what they're doing with Burroughs at quarterback, but I definitely think LSU is that team to watch, man. They're exciting. They finally, oh my gosh, finally got a quarterback in there that can do something. Um, you know, going through all those years with less at the helm and just that boring, boring t- style of football that he was playing. And I just, it's so crazy to me whenever you go back and you look at the team when they had Odell and uh, Jarvis. Yes. And you're just like, oh my God. Like, I remember whenever both of them got drafted, I was like, who are these guys? I've never even heard of them. And, but it was just because they're being wasted with no quarterback talent. And so now that they've got that diverse talent, uh, I definitely think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with whenever it comes playoff time. Again, with having your coaching experience, what's the biggest thing you've learned, I guess, as a coach, like when you watch this? Like when you watch football, I guess, how do you interpret it? Like are you, are you more of in a coaching mindset or are you kind of just trying to watch it as in your enjoyment? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, it's, it, it's kind of funny. I don't watch much football anymore. Um, whenever I got done playing ball, it was kind of a, a big emotional toll for me. And so I wanted to distance my game or distance myself from the game a little bit. Um, but yeah, when I watch it, I definitely go into it much more with a coach's eye. Um, I tell people all the time, I get so frustrated by fans. Um, and it's because, you know, there's a level of ignorance and I don't say ignorance in a bad way. Um, just a level of lack of knowledge when it comes to the fans. Like I said, whenever you don't know the game, it's, it looks very complex. And so you're sitting there watching the game with one set of eyes and I'm watching it through completely different set of eyes and so wondering why the quarterback's throwing the ball away or why the defense is doing this or that and I'm trying to explain it for the first couple years and then after a while I'm just like all right to hell with this they're never going to understand what I'm saying so yeah I definitely have much more of a coach's eye whenever I'm watching it and when you were playing or I mean what's the mindset like when you're a player then trying to transition that into a coaching uh, mindset what was that like Uh, for you For me, like I said, I was always kind of a heady player. Um, I had a great understanding of not only my responsibility, but the responsibility of everybody around me. Uh, 
and so whenever you're sitting there, once the, once that understanding of the game clicks to you, everything slows down. And rather than just seeing a fast-paced jumbled mess, you almost see like a like a well-orchestrated um, drawing or something. You see things playing out, and you can anticipate. And you know, if I do this, this person's going to do this. This is how they're going to react. Um, and so everything just starts coming together and starts meshing and starts playing out the way that you kind of expect it to. Um, and so your mind completely changes. Whereas when you're younger and you're playing, you're out there just playing what we used to call see ball, get ball, especially on the defensive side. It's like, Hey, there's the football. Let me go get the football. Whereas on the other side, you're sitting there and you're reading it. It's like a puzzle. It's like, okay, this guy's doing this. The quarterback's looking here. So what do I need to anticipate and do? So when you were growing up and what you see and what you see now, is there a change in like the youth football leagues in Texas? I grant I know Texas is a at heart football state. So with like all the concussions and all those like health problems that the NFL is trying to deal with, have you seen any effect with that in like the younger the younger the younger oh, programs? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I definitely see the numbers being impacted. Um, and not only just the fact that less kids are playing but I also see a lot of parents who wisely, I believe, are making their children wait. Um, with the in- increase in concussions, you're also seeing an expansion of seven-on-seven programs and kids going out there. They're learning the foundations of the game. They're learning like route combinations. They're learning coverages. And now, granted, while seven-on-seven does um, limit the ability of linemen to be able to go out there and get work, um, it is uh, increasing the ability for your skilled players to go out there and, like I said, learn the foundations of the game, get some experience and do all those different things. Um, so I think they're doing a great job coming up with alternative ways for kids to learn football without having to go out there and take the impact because no seven- or eight-year-old kid – again, I'm not a doctor, but no six-, seven-, eight-, nine-year-old kid needs to be out there banging their head against somebody else. If you go and you look, at the anatomical structure and where kids are in their development, their necks just aren't strong enough to be able to sustain that repetitive impact. And so people ask me all the time, they're like, you know, if you have a son, which I do, will you ever let your son play football? And I was one of those ones, like I said, just the way that I played the game and the way that I was built, I was one of those people. I got hurt a lot. Um, And so I always tell people, you know, I'm not going to tell my son he can't play the game. But I'm going to be honest with him about what the game is like. But I won't let my son play youth football. Um, I'll let him do seven on seven. I'll let him do those things. But I'll definitely make him wait to do physical football until he's old enough and physically mature enough to be able to sustain some of the bodily impacts. So I guess what age would you allow? Because I've seen like the age of like 12 or I think 14 around there. Yeah, to me, it's more going based on the eye test more than anything else. Um, Kids develop differently. If he develops like me, uh, he's a tiny, tiny kid. He's like in the one percentile of his weight right now. So for him, he may never get to play the game. I may never sign off on that. But um, no, it's just going based on the eye test um, and just kind of saying, hey, you know what? You look like you're, you're understanding the game foundationally and physically you look like you're ready to me. If that day doesn't come until he's in high school, then he'll wait till he's in school. If he ends up filling out and developing and growing into a mature body earlier than that, then I'll let him play earlier than that. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna set a date and say, hey, you know, when you turn 12, you play. 
Um, I'm going to say when dad is comfortable with the fact that you're not going to go out there and get the hell beat out of you and put the miles on the tires like I did, then that's whenever we'll look at it and consider it. So did you start playing football when you were seven, eight years old? So I started playing my first year when I was in sixth grade. And like I said, I was a tiny kid. And at that level, it's just you find the one athletic kid, put him in the backfield and give him the ball every play. So I was playing tight end at that time, and I hated it. I only ended up playing a couple games that season and um, ended up quitting because I didn't enjoy the game. And then I played in seventh and eighth grade in middle school. Um, Again, still extremely undersized and didn't really enjoy the game very much until I got into high school. And that was when my passion – kind of started to take over because I was a great baseball player most of my life too. Uh, And prior to that, it was all about baseball. And then I got to high school and started to fill out a little bit more and kind of started finding my own style of play and just developed a love for it. So I'm going to ask you one more question. So through with all, through all your trials and tribulations, what was the biggest thing you learned from coaching and playing football? Like what's the biggest thing you took away as a person that football brought you? I would say that, you know, the, the biggest thing for me is that when you really invest in yourself, when you invest in your personal growth, your personal development, you can do a lot more than what you put your mind to. Like I said, I had no business playing football at the University of Texas, at least if you looked at me on paper. Um, good athlete, not a great athlete. Um, I was able to accomplish a lot of things in my athletic career in general that I probably had no business accomplishing. Um, but it was just because I believed in myself. Um, I believed in my ability to be able to go out there and I approached my work that way. I took it and viewed it as a job. Um, not only wrong, I, I don't mean that to say that I didn't enjoy it, but when I got out there, I wasn't out there to grab ass around and play games and do all that stuff. I was out there to take it very, very seriously and I wanted to win. And consequently, I was able to set myself apart from a lot of guys who were probably better than I was or at least had more God-given talent uh, because I was out there, you know, getting my 10,000 hours in. You hear the stories about guys like Steph Curry um, and even the Michael Jordans of the world, guys who kind of had the, the deck stacked against them and could have gave, gave up very quickly, but they went out there and they were just relentless and refused to accept the label that everybody else was giving them, and that's kind of what my story was. I could have just believed what everybody else told me and said, you know, you're too small, you're not great enough, you're not going to be in the small percentage of kids that go and play, or I could just go out there and prove them wrong, and that's what I decided to do. So, Justin, that's going to conclude this episode, but I do want you to, before you go, I do want to ask you, like, what are you doing now with your career, or what are you doing like with yourself? So I'm actually a success coach. Um, I work with people a lot in this personal development space, really helping them to hone in on and get clarity about what their, their biggest goals and aspirations are in their life and walking them through the psychological and emotional uh, factors that prevent people from going after their goals and their dreams. You know, we live in this society where people always want to tell you, you're supposed to travel a certain route. You're supposed to do the safe things. You're supposed to go out and get a job and work 40 years doing something that you might kind of like a little bit and save up and retire and just ride off into the sunset. And I realized a long time ago that that life sounded pretty damn miserable to me. So I walked away from coaching in high school and went out and became an entrepreneur. And now I help people that, um, whether it's in their businesses and their relationships and their health and their finances, whatever it is, I help them go out, really um, start dreaming again and 
hone in on those dreams, create a plan around those dreams, and then go out and take action on the dreams to make them reality. That's awesome because I do agree with you that like people, I guess, do kind of set themselves up to think that the life that a lot of people do go after is not is not what I think life is should be limited to because there is more to life than just that job. Than absolutely, and it's, that's why I, one of my favorite uh, quotes is by Les Brown, and he says the richest place on earth is the graveyard because you know people take their dreams and their talents and their ability to be able to create amazing things in this world to the grave with them because they don't have the courage to step into them. That's awesome, Justin. I want to say, like thank you for because we do need more people that are willing to take take that step out of their comfort zone and I just want to say thank you for doing that. Absolutely. So that's going to conclude the 41st episode of uh, Sports Avenue. Uh, Justin, also, I just want to say, you can plug in all social media or how they can contact you right now. Yeah, so the the best place to find me is on Instagram and on Facebook. It's at Uncommon Justin Aldridge on both of those. And you can go to my website. It's www.justinaldridge.me. You can go check out my blog, check out my mission page, and all that good stuff. Yeah, thank you, Justin, again for joining. It's been awesome to hear your story, and I just want to say thank you again for being able to talk about it. Absolutely, Jimmy. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, so that's going to conclude the 41st episode of Sports Avenue. Um, Again, if you like what you heard, I'll put all the social media in the description below so you can follow. Stay in contact with what's going on with Sports Avenue. Everyone, thank you for listening. Talk to you soon. See you soon. Have a great week, and don't forget, the road for sports starts here.